You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. I hope you guys had a glorious week or uh, you're having a good week. Thanks for listening in, tuning into the podcast. Ryan, always good to see you. Good to see you as well. Right before we get on the air, we were talking about pounding alcohol, and I'm not a pounder, and <laughs> nor, nor are you. Uh, no, I'm not a pounder, but I uh, I guess I'm a marathoner. You like to drink for long periods of time at night. Like you start early and you're the one who drinks till two in the morning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I can't do, do that. I that can't I can do, do that. I drank probably about eight o'clock at night and buy three drinks by about nine. I want everybody the fuck out of my house. <laughs> by nine? By nine. Well, 10 maybe because I just feel guilty or I feel like an old man. My friends call me Gramps. Well, by then the after party started, so that's okay. Yeah, let them go after party. I just never had it in me. I mean, maybe in college I stuck around and like, you know, you see what happens, but what's the point of staying up so late? Uh, Finding somebody else drunk to hook up with? I think so. That's why you do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know if that's such a good idea. Hey, thanks for listening. Um, you know, Ryan, why don't you tell them the handles if you guys want to, if, you, if you're here for Sophia Bush, it's a, we're going to get right into it, but um, we really do appreciate if you, if you, if you enjoy the interview, hopefully you're going to stick around and here are the handles. Uh, at Inside of You Pod on Twitter, at Inside of You Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. That is correct. And uh, you can subscribe, you can watch it on YouTube, which is always great. Um, Ryan is an amazing editor. The, the shows look fantastic. And uh, you could also listen to it where, wherever, Stitcher, Apple all that stuff. We really appreciate that. And thanks for all the kind words. I had COVID and uh, I'm over it now and tested negative and feeling uh, a little bit back to myself, but I don't have any taste or smell. It's the real deal. It's uh, it sucks. Well, you've never had any taste. Oh, real dick move, Ryan, real dick move post COVID. And I got to hear that. It was right there. It was right there. It was right, it was right there. there for the taking. Uh, well, first of all, make sure you join Patreon if you want to support the podcast, which we love your support and it really helps the podcast. Go to patreon.com slash inside of you. Um, and uh, there's a bunch of perks of joining and becoming part of the big family of Patreon, patreon.com slash inside of you. And also, if you want any merch, Lex Luthor stuff, Smallville stuff, inside of you stuff, go to the inside of you online store. <laughs> Somehow my dog Blanche is in here, even though Ryan thought he locked her out hi blanche well she's having a seat all right that's fine you could hear her jingle she's good let's uh get into this guest you know this was a fun guest um i really enjoyed having sophia bush here in the studio we were both vaxxed and then i felt bad because then i tested positive and i had to call her and say oh fuck but she's good to go and um it was kind of uh you know you just got to be transparent and say shit i don't know what to tell you i just found this out i got a text and uh fuck but, uh, you know, you know her from One Tree Hill, but she's been in a, in a ton of stuff. Um, False Positive is a movie on Netflix, which is really dark. And she was a great guest. She's so articulate. Um, I was intimidated by her, Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought, oh, you know, I, she's she's a beautiful woman and uh, she's very intelligent and she's perfect for not me because uh, I think uh, she's probably too smart for me. But she's too smart for you? No, you are a smart person. Well, I just felt uh, a little like, you know, she's got so much going on that I would probably bore her, even though I find myself to be somewhat amusing. Not that I'm even, all I'm saying is that, that when I was interviewing her, I'm like, wow, this is a, this is a real woman here. This is a, I, I really, I just really liked her. She's amazing. Um, it's an amazing interview. Um, I think I got on her nerves once, but I think that's par for the course. But uh, it was a great interview, so why don't we step right into it? Let's get inside of Sophia Bush. It's my point of view, you're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. So you come over, you immediately <laughs> play with my dog. Yep. Blanche, 
And within five seconds, she knocks over your entire full cup of iced coffee (laughs) all over the living room. And then you proceed to help me clean it up. Obviously, I brought it over. Then you train my dog. I just needed to, you know, be her camp counselor for a minute. Calm her down, like bring her energy down, make her feel safe post coffee disaster. Can you do that with humans too? Uh, I've been told yes. I, I have that vibe. I, I'm i one of the people who always winds up hearing everyone's deepest, darkest secrets and problems. People so I believe guess they so. can confide in you. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Why is that? Is that You do have a certain voice. Doesn't you have a voice, Ryan? Mm-hmm. Put the mic up, for God's sakes. <laughs> Because yes. then we can't hear your voice. Right. She has this soothing voice. Do you do a lot mm. of voiceover work? Interestingly, not as much as you would think. Really? Because it's very unique. I could see you playing even a teenager of like, mm-hmm. vo- like mm-hmm. kind of like a Parker, what's the show? Not Parker Lewis, can't listen. Pinky Brewster? Punky Brewster? Punky Brewster. <laughs> you could, <laughs> you could yeah. do a Punky Brewster. Punky Brewster, Big Mouth, any of the fun stuff. Well, you did Incredibles too. I did. Well, how much so fun was that? Fun. The best. I mean, just the best. I also, and you, and you'll know the feeling. I, I was at a lunch with friends. You know, this was pre-pandemic when we still ate inside, and I was at a lunch with friends uh, in Venice. And my agent called and was like, "What is the matter with you? Why have you not responded to me today?" And I was like, "I. What are you talking about? First of all, I don't look at email. So what do, do you, you need not? to look at? No, I hate oh. it. I think email is." archaic and torturous. And I can't believe no one has developed a better user interface, but that's a separate conversation. <laughs> and so I, I opened the email and there's a, it's just a PDF. Right. And so I opened the PDF and it's a letter on Incredibles letterhead from Brad Bird asking me to play void. And I screamed at a pitch that I didn't know my voice could make. I thought I lost that at like eight, that level of high you just let it go. It just happened. And the whole restaurant turned and I just went, I'm so sorry. It's really good news. Did everybody laugh or they were just yeah. kind of- No, some people were laughing and like a couple of people when I left were like, what was, what happened? What's the news? <laughs> but that's exciting though. Incredibles too. You play yeah. Void. Yeah. Like I've done a lot of voiceover work and did you find it nerve wracking? Were you acting with other actors? Were you shooting by yourself or mm. what would you do? How'd you do it? Um, I didn't find it nerve wracking. What I what was really interesting and how fun as an adult to be mm. really surprised, right? What was really interesting to me was figuring out how to create a sound to go along with something that doesn't exist. Oh yeah. Cause they hadn't showed you, did they show mm-hmm. you any examples or like little drawings? My animation wasn't done yet. I had drawings, but you know, I was in the booth with Brad, which is the most incredible thing. I was like, please do Edna. Okay, please do another voice. Okay, okay, okay. Do this one now. And he was like, we're here to record you, ma'am. Um, wow. But it was really fun to get to play with a writer director of that caliber and and also to feel free enough in the room when he'd say, okay, you're going to jump uh, you know, from the stoop to the sidewalk off of, let's say, six stairs and you got to right. land. We need the sound of you landing. Okay, fine. Okay, but what happens when you jump off a hundred story building and land? I have no idea what that sounds like. Right. So we had to just come up with things and and it was fun in moments. What's the sound effect for jumping off the stoop? Just the small version. I mean, you how would you land? I'm gonna ask uh, you. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, a little uh, breath. Because uh, you get the wind slightly knocked out Ryan, of you. Try it. 
<clears throat> oh, you just coughed. It sounded like a cough. <laughs> that didn't sound good. When was your last negative PCR? Mine was yesterday. Great. I, Same. I tested negative yesterday because I was too. feeling low energy because I was just tired. Mm. So I was like, I got it. I must have it. I had to do a shoot this morning. So I tested Tuesday and yesterday. Really? Which actually gave me a lot of peace of mind given the you know current. What did you shoot? Uh, I had to do a shoot for Allure. Oh, oh, that's a fancy magazine. Allure has never called me. They're very fancy. But it's female, right? I mean, I think largely. You were also um, Maxim's top 100 back in the day. Not that far ago. Far ago. Yeah. Fargo. Fargo? Great Fargo? show. Great movie. How good is Kirsten Dunst on Fargo? I only saw season one. Ugh, she's so good. I, I mean, I, you would have seen her. Did I? Yeah. No. Take See, this part out of the podcast. Yes. No, I won't take it out. I only saw season one of Fargo. Kirsten Dunst is in it? Yes. Wait a minute. Then I just didn't recognize you didn't her. See, you, might, you also might have thought you saw season one and you didn't. Well, which, which one was season one? It was with the guy, the really quirky guy. Season one was with Colin Hanks. Yes. Yeah. So, oh, does she start in season two? Oh, I think I'm wrong. I'm right I on think this season, one. Season two is- I was so sure. Maybe we should edit it now. All right. You know what? We are we don't need to talk about Fargo anymore. It it's just a great show is the point. It is a great- So I was, <laughs> I was talking about uh, the top 100 Maxim. Because, oh, uh, right. you know, as you can see up there, back in the day, I was 100 oh. top 50 most eligible bachelors. I don't know yeah. how they determine that. And why is my picture drinking a glass of milk? I don't know. Do you see it? I don't it's just really weird. I, I don't like get it. I like a photo it. in a diner, though. I really do. Yes. But do you hate shoot doing shoots like that, being pretty and glamorous and stuff like that? Or do you ever feel real comfortable or do you just go with it? You just, it's part of the job. I mean, I always feel awkward. It, oh. With life in general? Yeah. And like getting my picture taken. Everyone assumes you're good at that if you are an entertainer. But I immediately, I'm like, but what is my body? Where do my arms go? Like, I've never gotten relaxed about that. Um, and, you know, there are times in your life where people pressure you to to do things that you may not have wanted to do. Um, like a shoot or yeah, whatever. Yeah, totally. So I would always much rather do the cool editorial thing, you know, strange fashion, stuff that feels more like a character. Um, I mean, your diner photo, like, oh man, if there were a place that I could do a shoot, I think I'd want to shoot in Russ and Daughters in New York. What's that? Oh, like the best deli around. So you'd like to shoot in a deli, something yeah. character, something oh, cool. I'd be so happy. So doing something- And I like could get snacks on the way home. Like That's I get true. a pastrami to go. It would be great. So, but doing something like a lure you're saying is a little bit more, it's, 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 uh, what's the word I'm thinking? It's- everybody's tense. It's like, gotta be great. It's gotta be, we've got to capture beauty and just elegance. I, I didn't feel tense this morning. I just kept laughing. I kept interrupting myself and being like, well, what am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. Is this, is any of this good? Is this what you're asking for? I, I have no idea. Um, and I think what's nice, at least about this sort of moment in my life is that I'm less nervous to admit I have no fucking idea what's going on. Like when I showed up on my first, you know, full-time set at 21, I was like, oh my God, okay. That was One Tree Hill? Yeah. At 21? 21. I knew it was young. I knew you had to be young. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, I just kind of like learned what a mark was recently. And um, I'm just going to pretend like I know what they're talking about and I'll learn. And And you do, you learn quickly, but I think for me reflecting and, and being able to reflect with, you know, my co-stars about that you you get sort of 
adultified in ways you don't realize when you're young. And, and looking back, I wish we'd had more of a, you know, a young cast person, uh, mentor in the production department situation, but we didn't help you out because what you're saying is that there's sort of like an allure. <laughs> no, but there's allure. allure, but there's sort of this idea that you have to, people need to see you as confident. Yeah. They need to see you as you know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And well, or if you're, if you don't know what you're doing, are you unprofessional? Are you wasting people's time? Do you deserve to be here? Those are all the fears we carry, which right. are bogus, but that doesn't mean we don't worry about them. I can't imagine getting fame at 21, being a lead on a show. You were one of the leads. And I, I don't think I, you know, it happened really till I was 27 or 26, but I'm very immature. I think I've always been <laughs> incredibly immature. And you seem like you are very mature, like with your activism and mm -hmm. all these things, you're beyond your years. I really believe that. Don't you Thank think you. so? That's really nice. I mean, I, yeah, I, I've always kind of been a little old person. Like even as a little kid, I was. Where does that stem from? I don't know. But I remember I saw this video of myself on a camping trip with my dad and my grandpa and I was talking to the two of them and I sound like Jack Lemon in Grumpy Old Men. And I'm like, well, you know what would be a hoot? And I'm like, what seven-year-old says that? Like, I have no idea where I got it, what was happening. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like, um, like I've always been An old a grown-up. But I feel the old soul energy, if that's the right term, more for us, for humanity, for a collective, the activism, the the work on behalf of a community has always made sense to me. Right. And then I think the, you know, pervasive anxiety about not knowing the answer or perhaps um, desire to be as professional as possible all stems from a very young, you know, well of self-doubt and fear. And, and that's is kind of an interesting dichotomy when people say to me you seem confident i'm confident for us right. i'm not very confident as an as an individual uh wow. but i just choose to kind of like not pay attention to that part and do the rest well your parents always about doing the right thing did they instill that in you at a very young age were they always were they not maybe activists but always talking about the right things or do they have beliefs that you don't kind of share you know it's interesting i think the thing I respect so much about my parents is that they, even in their 70s, are very willing to inquire where their beliefs come from. I've watched my dad get so progressive. And recently we were talking about it and I was complimenting, you know, things he sends me and, and just saying, you know, how much I love seeing a, a man of, you know, his age, um, seeming to learn all these things. And my dad looked at me and was like, oh, do you not know we were out protesting Vietnam? Do you not know? And I learned all these things about my parents before I was born that I'm like, oh. They never shared that oh, with you? Makes, and maybe they did, but I, you know, what does a kid remember? I don't know. Right. Maybe, maybe they shared some of that stuff with me when I was just young enough that it didn't entrench itself in my memory. Um, but, you know, really just really cool to hear them talk about their upbringings. And there were things I knew, you know, I knew about my dad's story immigrating to America and how long it took him to, you know, get his green card and become a citizen. And I understand how tough that is. How for long people. did it take him? 
Um, well, my dad came in the 60s and he didn't become a citizen until I was 12 and I was born in 82. So that would have been 94. Wow. So it's, it takes a long time. Isn't that crazy? Mm -hmm. And you know, my mom, my mom's mom came to America on a boat through Ellis Island. Um, my mom grew up in a housing project in the Bronx and, you know, she was exposed to so many of the things that I've leaned into in my activism um, in terms of communities that are disenfranchised. And, uh, and it's really interesting now, you know, I'll tell her about something and she's like, yeah, I know. And then she talks about something <laughs> from her childhood and I'm going, wow, right. this is a, this is a wild sort of full circle experience. Yeah. Were they always supportive? Like when you went off to college, I read this thing, I'm sure you've talked about it, but where you were, you loved volleyball, you're playing volleyball and yeah. this school makes you <laughs> audition for a play or mm -hmm. you have to be in a play. We had arts requirements in middle school. Arts requirements in middle school. I went to this the, is middle school we're yeah, talking about? Middle school. I went to the most phenomenal middle school and high school. And there were four semesters of arts requirements in seventh and eighth grade. And I was like, I don't do play. My friend does plays. So you were yes. upset at first. Uh, yeah. I was kind of like, I don't care about this. I'm going to go to medical school. I'm going to be a heart surgeon. Like, this Really? Is my, you yeah, want to be a heart surgeon? That was my plan. And so I thought, you know, being like a smart, goofy kid, I was like, well, if I do my play second semester of eighth grade, that's spring season, that's volleyball, you know, so I won't have to do it because I'm going to play volleyball. And the school was like, you chose this. This is your choice. You, you had the freedom to uh, do your play last semester and do ceramics this semester and you didn't. So you're doing a play. And I remember just thinking it was so stupid. The play? Just the whole <laughs> the concept of, of it. it. What play was it? Uh, it was Our Town. Our Town. Yeah, mm -hmm. sure. A very famous one that every yeah. high school, college, oh, everyone every. does yeah. it. And it's so good. Yeah. And what was really interesting to me was that I realized in real time that we were bringing a book to life essentially. And it just changed my whole view of everything. And I realized, you know, the reason that I can't ever give a book to anyone because they're underlined and dog-eared and noted in the margins. And I love reading and learning. And here was a book come to life. And I leaned into theater really hard all through high school and just loved it so much and got so nerdy. Like in the ways that I was such a little kid and sort of sheltered for a long time, I was also such an old man. I started doing research about, you know, um, the traditions of human story pre the written word and was what? like, how plays old are, are you? sacred. I was in high uh, school how? and just so. You're doing this in high school. Yeah. I'm practically failing out Yeah, while it, she's looking up this. And I was like, this is how humanity came to be before we could write things down. We would do plays for each other. See, this and this is, is why we know things. I, I really get fired up about nerdy stuff. The, uh, but wait a minute. So the play, <laughs> did you have a big part in the play? No. Small part. Yeah. And through high school, I did leads in plays. I teched plays. I was a prop master on many plays. I, I played master. supporting roles in plays. I mean, it was, yeah. I was like behind the scenes. <laughs> I, I was doing lighting. Oh, I love it. I'm I loved the prop it. master. I'm the property master. I'm the master of all props. <laughs> we don't we don't use that word anymore. We, I assume now we say properties manager. Um, but oh, at the yeah, time, that's true. That's we what don't, we, we don't said. Say that, right. And uh, oh man, I just loved it. 
I you fell in love with it. Yeah. And I you really said, did. I don't want to be a heart surgeon anymore. <laughs> I want to be an actor. Yeah. So imagine going to my immigrant father and my daughter of an immigrant mother and saying, so mom and dad, I don't think I'm going to go to medical school. I'm going to go to the theater. They were just pissed, horrified. Did they, they see horrified. you in a play? Did they see you in plays at this oh, point? Yeah. So they were like, she's good. Yeah. She- but, but my mom was just like, that's not a, a real job. Like, stable life. You yeah. can't do that. It's what are not- you doing? Yeah. And it is crazy what we do. Um, but my parents, my dad, um, prior to retiring a couple of years ago was a f- advertising photographer and you know, he is a creative. And I, they told me years later that they had this conversation after I had this talk with them about going to, you know, get a BFA instead of a medical degree. And my mom was like, this is all your fault. You turned your hobby into your career and now she thinks she can do it too. You know, she was just so nervous for me. Because um, your dad's a photographer? Mm-hmm. Photographer of what? He did, you know, advertising celebrity beauty campaigns. Like, really? Yeah. Did he ever shoot you? Mm-hmm. He did. Yeah, I had somebody do my headshots for free for, you know, 20 years, which was And then were they good? Glorious. Yeah. I mean, my dad was like doing campaigns for Neutrogena and has wow. been published in Vogue. He's wildly talented. That's exciting. And just so nice. He's a nice guy. Yeah, huh? my dad's really nice. There's a lot of people in that world who aren't nice and he yeah. is. Inside of you is brought to you by Rocket Money. I love Rocket Money. You know why? Because everyone should have Rocket Money because it just helps you save money. How many times do we have subscriptions that we don't even know we have anymore and we're paying so much money? It's throwing away money, Ryan. I, I found one. You And you did it. You told I me. Found, I got Rocket Money. <laughs> okay, I found one. It. I'm embarrassed to say how long it's been going on, but thank you for finding it. <laughs> My God. It was embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, because it's like you want to watch some show and you go, oh, I have to subscribe to this uh, this streaming, de- uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. And you you start streaming the show, you watch it, you leave, and you forget after this trial period it kicks in and it's they're charging terrible. you 10 bucks a month. It's, it is embarrassing. Ugh. You know, 75% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about. Before I started using Rocket Money, I thought I had, you know, like, oh, I have like five subscriptions. I could not believe it when they showed me I was paying for like four extra uh, between, you know, streaming advices and fitness apps, delivery services. It's never ending. And thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with the customer service for you. I like that. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash inside. That's rocketmoney.com slash inside. Rocketmoney.com slash inside. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know how many times I have to talk about this, but it's so important. If you're sitting there right now and you're stressed or you're anxious or you have a lot on your mind and you just bottle it up and you don't know what to do, it's going to come out and it's not going to come out in great ways all the time. 
Um, BetterHelp has helped me substantially. Ryan here has been using it for a while. And I, you know, don't you notice when you don't use BetterHelp? When you don't have therapy? Oh, the weeks where I miss a session? Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's like the more you talk about something, even if you don't think you have anything to talk about, things come up and it puts your mind at ease. And we all carry around different stressors, you know, big and small. And at times we keep carrying them around rather than processing them and letting them go. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. Therapy from BetterHelp is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for all of us. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I think people think, oh, what if I don't like my therapist? If you don't, you switch them. It's that easy. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash inside today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash inside. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. When you date someone, do you look at your father as sort of the guy like, you know, you, you don't want to date your father. You hear that, you know, a lot of times, but you, your father, you talk about him so pleasantly. Mm. I mean, he was, he was in, he's a nice guy. Do you usually date nice guys um. <laughs> or do you go the opposite? Have you gone to the, I'm sure you have uh, gone the opposite for, you know, a few times. I look, I'm not attracted to assholes, right? but I do think that. Where, again, a lot of my wisdom for us, you know, for a community mm-hmm. exists. Yes. I think uh, in the same way that I've lacked some confidence <laughs> I know on the individual going. side, I've lacked a bit of discernment or mm-hmm. perhaps having a like a bullshit meter in my personal life. So I've dated some people who I thought were really nice who were not. What is that but though? Do you that's think that's a lesson you gotta it's learn? It's a lesson, but don't you think there is sort of this feeling you have when you're on set and you meet someone and there's an attraction to his his or her uh talent? Mm. Are you attracted to talent or are you or more attracted to I don't know about if I would put it that way. I'm attracted to uh, you know, creativity, to ambition, to intellect, to service. Um, I also think and I'd, I'd be curious about your experiences there. I think there's like a very, it's funny because you realize that everybody you've ever ma- met in this business has like dated everybody else. <laughs> and, you know, when you, yeah. when you spend a hundred hours a week on set and you literally, you don't even get home for eight hours to sleep. Like, yeah, I'm not surprised that every 20 year old on a set has dated every other 20 year old on a set. Right. Like, who cares? This I don't, is your family. You know, this is your life. You don't know much. But uh, it's like, I don't know. We, we act like it's not common and it's wildly common. And, you know, some of our favorite, like, quote unquote, celebrity couples are like people who 
married the fourth co-star they dated. Like, I don't know. Right. I don't particularly care about anybody's personal life so long as it's not like disruptive to work. But I do think there's just a, a, a thing that happens to a lot of people whereby as you get older and you get more stability outside of work mm-hmm. that, you know, your just your perspective changes. I mean, how, do, how does it work for you? The more I'm just immersed in work, the more I'm just hyper-focused, the less happy I am. Mm-hmm. I'm, and I'm learning that as I get older and older, like this can't, you can't be thinking about this all the time. You have to disconnect. You have yeah. to take a trip. You have to explore. Mm-hmm. You have to mm-hmm. educate yourself, whatever yeah. it is. Because I mean, for many years, I think I was just so, you know, I'm, I'm on set. I'm, I'm, this is, this is who I am. This is, yeah. this is my world, but it's a different scenario. And I've talked about it on the podcast before, because I, I, for me, it was somebody who didn't have confidence, didn't have the, uh, I did something, I did a play somewhat that I, uh. I was good. Somebody said, you're really good. Mm. You're really funny. Mm. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, I'm funny. This person thinks I'm funny. I need to just be on stage all the time. So I was about finding myself. I think my, my journey Got has been it. really just trying to find out who I really am. Yeah. Because I didn't know who I was. And I. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that that, especially when you are working young, what, a, what an easy pit to fall into. Because you're figuring out who the people you play are. And you're supposed to figure out who you are. And, and your experiences your, can, are conveyed on screen, yeah. but if you don't have a lot of experiences because uh-huh. you're young. Then you're looking for them and right, yeah, right. It's, it's a conundrum indeed. And, and I think, you know, when you, when you mix all of that reality in with the fact that you're performing, if you're on a show like, you know, the ones we used to be on, you're working 16 or 17 hours a day. Yeah. Your whole life revolves around the people you're around. And so it's like, I get it. You know, I've been that young person and I give advice to a lot of young people in the same positions. And the thing I always try to say is I understand why you're trying to build a home where you are. You know, I think especially for me and and many of my friends who were in similar positions to me when we talk about it now, you realize when you pick up and you move away from home and you literally, you don't see anyone except the people you work with for 10 months a year. I'm like, I get it. You want to build a home. You want to feel like it was worth it to leave everyone you love and to be away from your family and your parents and to miss Mm. weddings and birthdays and, you know, people having babies. And I get it. You really want to build and cultivate a real, you know, work family and, and sense of home. I get it. I'm also just very deeply committed to my real home. At right. this stage in my life. I mean, it had to be so difficult for you to be 21 years old and as a lead on a show getting started. And it's just, it's, it's over, probably overwhelming. Mm. Right? Oh, yeah. In a lot of ways. Yeah. And, and for me, especially going to do that kind of show, you know, going back to high school after only three years in college. <laughs> right. And doing a version of high school that I'd only heard about. I went to an all-girls school. Right. I didn't have one iota of experience with boys being in class, with bad guys who'd lie to you, with dramatic, you know, (laughs) uh, girls fighting over boys in school. I didn't have any of that. But you just learned to act through it. Well, you have to. That's your job. But it, you know, God, what a, 
I mean, what a crazy, what a crazy ride we went on. It was hilarious. How soon after you started One Tree Hill did you meet, well, you, you had already met Chad Michael Murray, but. Oh, before, I'm not going to talk about that. Oh, you don't talk about that? No. Zero. No, I'm not allowed to, the, No, but oh, you, you know can't. what it is? I'm not allowed to because I've tried to poke fun at being a dumb kid. Being, right. That's what and I was going to And whenever talk about. I've done that, it gets twisted into I'm talking shit about somebody who I don't even know anymore, who's clearly a grown up. Like, right. I, but I'm, I, I think you have to like laugh at who you used to be. But when people ask me about um, history that involves someone else, right? I, I unfortunately, like I can't I just. Well, it's not well, even maybe, unfortunate. Yeah. It's just not worth. It's not worth my time. Right. It's not a place where I harbor, um, you know, ill will or and it can't come anything. out right. It never does. <laughs> right. Right. And, right. And I've tried to like you know do the thing where when I get stuck. Uh, live on the air, which has happened to me twice, <laughs> getting asked about it where I like give a little like, ha ha, like jazz hands quip and right. move on. And it it doesn't, it just doesn't work. So I'm not going to, I, I, yeah. you know, I was a very um, naive 21 year old kid and that's all there is. But you to did it. say something that I read about, I knew that I was getting into, and I, and I will always believe in love. Something oh God, like I probably said that in my twenties when I was just trying to keep everybody happy. Well, I think that you, you said something where you want, when you got married, you go in to get married because you think you're going to be married once. Oh, Michael, we're not really going to talk about this, are we? No, I'm just thinking, I think that though, that's why I'm single is the reason I brought it up. Like, hear me out. Okay. Is because I think I've seen so much dysfunction in my family. You haven't maybe. I think every family has seen. But I, I've seen extreme dysfunction. dysfunction. My sister sure. is married five times, wow. mother three times. A lot of different things. So mm. I feel that, fuck, man, I'm not getting married until it's the one. And that might sound naive, mm. but that's why I think I've waited so long. Yeah, I get that. But you know what I think? Look, I think lots of people do stupid shit before their prefrontal cortexes are fully formed and they're not until they're 26. Right. So you do the math on my timeline. I literally didn't have a whole brain. So <laughs> I have like humor and grace for like, being a kid and, you know, having the experience that I had. But but I also think we're at a really interesting time where we're, look, we're looking at systems in general. And marriage, uh, I learned so much about it reading Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Committed. And one of the things I thought was so interesting, and I, I read it years ago, so I won't have the facts perfect for you, which I like to, but here we are. But she essentially talks about how early there's early evidence of the church trying to ban marriage because you were not as, you know, a, a member of the faithful supposed to be devoted to anyone but God. And then they realized they couldn't keep people from getting married. People in villages and towns were just doing this thing. So then they said the only recognized marriage is in the church. So we have to look at what our motivations are, what the politics are. Um, churches, by the way, are so political. It's crazy to me. They don't pay taxes. Again, separate conversation. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it used to be that the the person on this farm and the person on this farm would get married so they could join farms and there was a dowry and somebody got like livestock and like really weird patriarchal nonsense. And now we're in this time where as many, if not more women in our country anyway, are the breadwinners of their household. Um, people want to build families. They want to have kids. They want to have these experiences that I think we all deeply romanticize. Mm -hmm. And 
you look at a divorce rate of over 50%. It's really complicated. Um, You know, it's something like, and this was a stat I read a few years ago. So I'd be curious to know if the numbers are the same now, but 72% of men cheat on their wives, followed by 41% and growing. Wait, how many? 72% of men cheat on their wives. If I remember the stat correctly, and followed by and growing 41% of women who are now cheating on their husbands. I know we're just talking about heteronormative relationships, but that's the stat that I read. And that number is growing as more and more women become the economic leaders of their households. And so I think overall, we have to have a much more real conversation as a society and within our own romantic relationships and our friendships with, you know, our friends who are likely in romantic relationships of their own. What are our motivations? Like, what are we looking for? I yeah. I grew up on Disney movies and watching rom-coms and went to an all-girls school. I was the prime, like, right out of the cartoon factory candidate for, like, a fairy tale ideal of young love. Come on. Like, it wrote itself. <laughs> but really now, as an adult, and for you in this position where you're saying you have your own skittishness and nervousness about really diving in. Um, I imagine that you have trust issues and also feel really nervous truly opening up and being your full self with someone. God, you're good. Thank you. You're good. So how do we begin (laughs) to unpack these things for each other and figure out, like, what is your motivation? Is your saying, well, I want to make sure it's absolutely the one. Is that actually just an avoidance tactic to prevent being intimate with anybody? (sighs) God, I knew this would turn around on me. Yeah, it probably is. It's a defensive defense mechanism, mm. I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, because there's no perfect one out there. There's just, they don't exist. I'm not perfect and neither Nobody are you. Is. Well, you're closer than I am. You're very kind. Perfection. <laughs> uh, and Ryan here. But um, well, Ryan's obviously perfect, except for the fact that he doesn't know how to use a microphone. Yeah, exactly. This is accurate. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know. But let me ask you, what what is... Now, going from this 21-year-old girl, Mm. really girl, to this whatever, how old you are now, woman, how do you feel about it? How do you feel about marriage? How do you feel about, I mean, do you want to get married? Largely, I feel great about it. But again, I think it depends on what people's motivations are. And I want to make sure, whether it's myself or one of my best friends, that we're clear on what it is we're signing up for rather than thinking we're getting some like, you know, Kate Hudson and Matt McConaughey uh, rom-com life. You know, this notion that you're going to meet your person and they're going to make you so happy that you're going to be fulfilled and you'll never be nervous again and you'll never ever think anyone else is hot. (laughs) Like what? It's such an absurd uh, joke. And so what I am a fan of, what I'm a believer in is real partnership, real intimacy that comes with radical honesty and with ground rules of always giving your partner the benefit of the doubt while asking questions, while being able to be vulnerable, admit when you're afraid, admit when you're being triggered by something else. Like you have to do a lot of work. That sounds, I mean, it sounds, the first thing I thought of was this needs to be a course in college. Oh, I agree. Or I, seriously, I agree. they would just really sit down and talk to you about, look, these are the things. And I think earlier, I had a really fascinating conversation with Esther Perel, who was talking about certain countries um, that begin empathy education in preschool. And every couple of years, there's more curriculum 
which is about um, holding space for each other and uh, what what consent means. We don't hit our classmates. If you want to hug someone, ask. Those kinds of things for little kids that steadily evolve into sex ed in, you know, whether it's middle school, high school. I don't know when they do that for kids anymore. Um, clearly, we're doing a terrible job of it. Uh, so that it's, it is about consent. It is about intimacy. It is about sexual safety. And, and, and they learn about relationship building from the time that they're, you know, four. Can you imagine if we'd had 14 years oh my of God. that? Oh my God. You know, until I just never existed with me. All mm-hmm. I saw, I was surrounded by just dysfunction and I, I didn't. So imagine at a young age, if you had, because in the developmental years, when you're yeah. five, seven, whatever it is, if you're not receiving love and all these things that you should be receiving as a young kid, yeah, it changes the whole outcome. It really mm-hmm. does. And you don't know what that is. And you're, I think that's what a lot of people do go through. I mean, unless you have really great parents and, you know, mm. um, I don't know. It sounds like you had a great experience with that. I mean, my parents and I have done the work. We had years that weren't great. How do you do work I, with your parents? Uh, I do a lot of work on my own and bring my work home. How do you do that though? How do you, do you say, okay, family meeting? Yeah. You do. I started instituting family meetings about five years ago. Does it include uh, maybe the person you're dating now or is it just strictly you and your parents? Um, well, no, at that, at that time and, and for many years, it was really about the three of us and working through some stuff. You know, I needed to talk to them about experiences I had as a kid and my, you know, the vestiges of childhood trauma that I carry from those things. And, and we, we all needed to get clear on certain matters because the reality is everyone has a memory of an experience. You know, tomorrow, each of the three of us will have a memory from today and they might be different. Mm-hmm. And so to be able to sit. Mine and- will be, I don't think Sophia liked me as much because <laughs> I was hoping she would. Yeah, I don't think. No, go ahead. Um, you know, it's, it's really important to ask people what they remember, to share with them what you remember. And it's very hard. Yeah. It's very hard for me to say something. This is my experience. And my father or mother, whoever says, oh, get out of here. That's not what happened at all. Yeah. What are you talking about? I wasn't. My, this is an experience I have that I've yeah. kept with me. Yeah. And now they're just belittling it. Yeah. I would offer that there's a lot of power in letting them do that and just watching it and then saying, okay, so if you want to say to me that that didn't happen, why is this my memory? Why is this my experience? Why have I gone through work on this in therapy? Why do you think I'm bringing it up to you now? You can really disarm someone's desire to avoid their mistakes. And you can also offer the kindness of we've all made mistakes. And I'm not bringing this up with you because I blame you. I'm bringing it up with you because I want to heal it between us. That gives me anxiety. Of course it does. It's really hard. It gives me fucking anxiety thinking of having that conversation with um, It's really certain people. Hard. But it is, I believe, something we all deserve. And I think can be a real sign of progress and personal growth when you can just say like, okay, you all can flail around me and I'm going to stand here like a concrete post. And when you've tired yourselves out, I'm still going to be holding space to talk about it. it. It's kind of like, you know, I used to be a camp counselor. It's not far off on how you deal with kids that are throwing temper tantrums. People revert 
to childish avoidant selves when they think they're going to get criticized. We all become a five-year-old who thinks we're going to the principal's office. You know, it's just human tendency. And if you can understand the tendency, you can kind of depersonalize the, the response. And frankly, you also have to have a moment, I think, in your adult self, I did, where I finally said, I might not ever get the moment on this issue that I want from my parents. They may not parent me through this example in the way that I want them to. And weirdly, as soon as I accepted that, they became the best version of my parents they've ever been. I've given up, I think. I think I've given up on that. Really? Yeah, because I, I feel like um, they see what they want to see. They hear what they want to hear. They, they don't want to acknowledge things because I think it hurts them and it embarrasses them. Mm -hmm. And um, it's an old school mentality. Yeah. And maybe that's an excuse. But um, I just feel like it's not even worth it. And I've had therapists in the past kind of say, well, you should bring this up. I'm like, you just don't understand. I, I, I know. And they're like, you don't think I deal with people all the time? I go, I know you do, but not this one. This is different. My father's different. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, you know, my father actually, we have a, a much better relationship in recent years. Mm, but that was going to be my next question. Yeah. Well, I kind of wrote him a letter. I, I, I'm much more articulate, as you could probably tell when I write. I have the time I feel to, that. yeah. Me too. I, I don't get, I don't get, um, no, you're very articulate. Up. I can be, but sometimes. Unless I bring up Chad I Michael can... Murray. Jesus flipped out on me. <laughs> this is good. I like this stuff. It's, it's, it's fun. It's like, it's honesty. I, I like that. Yeah, I like it. Uh, but I do, uh, you know, I, I know it's, it's an easy joke. Um, what's an got, easy joke? Well, just referring to, you know, well, I didn't think of it as a joke, but I, well, but it is also really interesting. I do have to say as a, as a woman who's done what I've done over the last 20 years to consistently have, do you people, still have to talk about that? Everybody wants to ask me about it. And I'm like, do you want to talk about like a dumb thing you did when you were 21, when you were essentially a senior in college yeah, believe me if they like, did i'd be yeah you know i do I'm like, a lot I have of dumb this things. whole other career you have like, a huge career i just watched <laughs> false positive you did i love false positive Thank it was you. very dark my mother told me to watch it because we watch horror movies together wow yeah she's oh. the one who told me to watch it and what did your mom think of it she's like you should watch this false positive and after i watched it, i go why the fuck would you tell me to watch that that's so <laughs> fucked it's pretty dark it is really dark and your character's dark too what a twisted yeah. uh corrigan oh god i know but wait before we get to her because yeah, 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 this yeah, is yeah, a fun ahead. thing because this is an easy moment for you to flip to a you know a joke or to change the subject that, so you don't have to talk about yourself. Yeah, that's how I do it. That's what I um, do. And I'm like, uh, we're not done. You we're not do it done. too. All right, um, fine. But what... Uh, <laughs> Bastard. What did, if you feel comfortable sharing any part of it, what do, you, what do you think you were able to communicate in that letter that gave you, by getting it out of your body and onto paper, that gave you a little bit of freedom to have some space for a different kind of relationship with your dad? I, I called him out on things that he had said or done his actions which were unacceptable i i felt and ultimately in the letter i said you've got a, a really wonderful kid out here in california that you could have so much fun with and spend time with mm. and actually get to know and you're just shitting on time mm. something along those lines mm. and it took a while and he didn't respond to me and then i was like fuck man <laughs> 
So then I shot him an email a couple months later because we hadn't talked. I go, did you get my email? He goes, yes. All I can say is I love you. That was his email. Such a particular kind of generation, isn't it? Yeah, he, he didn't want to get into it. Didn't want to, he didn't divulge, didn't answer things, didn't say. But I, um, the thing is, I think with him is, is a lot of people, you, you have your own problems and you forget that you're still a father. You forget that you're st- you still have to do the, the right things and you don't have to follow in your father's footsteps mm. and you don't have to. And I've done everything I can to not do that, to be approachable, to be loving, to be giving, to be all these things. Not saying my father is. I'm just saying it, mm-hmm. in general, I want to be all these. Why are you getting me into the talk all this, talking about all this stuff? We're just unpacking stuff. Because you have a podcast too. I do. Drama Queens. Yeah. Well, that's the second podcast. Yeah. What Work was in Progress one? is my show that I started uh, in 2019 that is, you know, not dissimilar to this. It's sort of, you know. <laughs> We get into the deep stuff about incredible people, you know, culture leaders and politicians and writers and actors and comedians and um, authors, just everybody out there doing interesting stuff, which is really fun. You know, I've interviewed scientists and. um, God, I'd be so overwhelmed. I I couldn't interview a scientist. Oh my God, I love it. I love it all day. But you do the research, right? Yeah. But but research is what I do all day anyway. So I finally have been able to put it into something which is really fun. And, and it was off of doing work in progress that I, I don't know, I have found that there is such space for exploration and for healing and conversation with people for learning. And all of us girls who worked on One Tree Hill really have always carried a thorn in our side since. And I just went, you know, what, there might be something there. One of one of my awesome agents asked me if I'd ever consider, you know, doing a podcast about it, kind of as like a COVID project. A project about what? About the show. About One Tree Hill. That's yeah. what, what Drama mm-hmm. Queens is, right? Yeah. And I didn't want to do that by myself, but I sort of chewed on it. And then I called Hillary and just said, look, I, I had something suggested to me and now it's become this idea in my head. And if you hate it, you know, cause she left first. She had a really gnarly experience with our boss. And I said, if you hate it, I'll never speak of it again. And we, no one ever has to know that we talked about this, but if you don't hate it, I think we should call joy. She was like, call joy. <laughs> really? <laughs> um, and then the three of us launched this show and it's, it's so, it's so awesome. Do you guys get into this stuff too? Yeah. You, you talk know, about your experiences through. Totally. And, and I knew we would. And I knew there would be a lot of opportunity, like we talk about with this letter to your dad, like to leave it on the page, to get it out of our bodies um, and to to also reminisce on everything that was so good because it was all of the things. It was the best of times and the worst of times, as they say. And what I wasn't quite prepared for was the ways that we were going to kind of big sister our younger selves and each other. You know, we've been able to talk about all the things that we were too scared to bring up back then. And we've really been able to kind of come to each other's rescue and defense. And, yeah. and we just laugh a lot. And the coolest part is that we're finally seeing our show the way our audience saw it. We'd never done that as before. a fan in a way. Yeah. I, you know, even if we'd catch an episode to live tweet or something, 
we would have just made it. It was like everything was jumbly. Right. Now we are just seeing the episodes. Right. And it's wild. And the number of times we'll all get choked up and we're like, oh man, it really hits. It hits. It's a really good show. Really? That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's really sweet. Well, you talk about all the stuff that you guys went through and I know you've talked about it a lot. I mean, and you paint the picture of that. Th- this guy was, the creator of the show was basically a monster. Yeah. I mean, there's no secret to that. No. It's amazing to me how he could be so open. Usually you think that it'd be one or two people that experience it. Mm-mm. But how many people experience this? Uh, 18 women on our show signed a collective letter. And that was 18 people willing to be public about their experiences in the cast and on the crew. And 25 women on the cast and crew of his subsequent show signed a letter in response about his behavior. And it was obvious in front of the crew. Oh, yeah. He was very open. I think the worst of what he did was hidden. Um, but, yeah, he he was not embarrassed to be handsy, to make inappropriate commentary. He just thought he can get away to, with it. Mm, to pull people into side rooms for conversations. Um, to keep... <laughs> it's funny when you think about the things that men write. You know, we would have these scenes written... For us, you know, being with our intimate partners on the show, scenes written where we'd be in our underwear and whatever. And we found out from a writer that he kept a board of the fitting photos of each girl in underwear up in his office. Pictures of us that were taken by the wardrobe supervisor who was a woman of us in different versions of underwear and or lingerie that, that, that then had to be approved, picked and, you know, that one would wind up in the show. He just would keep a board of all Jesus these photos. Christ. And we were like, wow, that's super violating. Did anybody ever say, get help, dude? Get fucking help? Uh, yeah, certainly. But when someone's in complete and total control of 250 people's jobs and livelihoods, it's pretty hard to force them to listen. But it was interesting for us, you know, when the show was over, uh, really to hear that it was no secret in the industry either. Right. And he kept working as they all do until, you know. This all came out, the movement. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then he was fired off Royals or whatever. Uh-huh. Did you ever, do you, how do you feel if you ever were face to face with him in a room, just the two of you to have a conversation? Do you think you could keep your composure? I could do a conversation like this. You could. But even as you ask me to imagine it, like the, sensation of white hot rage in my chest is not small because not only was it the really overt just abuse and manipulation that he you know put so many women through but it was also the more insidious shit it was telling me that joy and hillary were supposedly talking all this shit about me and then telling joy that me and hillary were talking shit about her and telling Hillary that me and Joy were talking shit about her. He, he, making pitted, you all hate each other. He pitted us against each other. Uh. And when you're 21 and your 45 year old married boss is telling you that people are coming into his office to talk about you, you don't think he's making it up. And so the ferocity that I feel about the time he stole from us. Because we clicked fast and we were really, really close and he didn't like it. And it took us a long time to realize that, you know, when he would talk about never letting us be like the friends cast, we always thought like, yeah, 
LOL, like what cast is ever going to get paid that much money an episode? <laughs> yeah. But what we didn't realize was that he never wanted us to be best friends because then we would talk about money and then we would advocate together. It wouldn't be that kind of money. But join forces. But we that. would join forces. And we didn't get that at the time. We were kids. We didn't know anything about the business. This was my first TV show. You know, Hillary had been working on MTV as a VJ. Like none of us had experience in this arena. Right. So we didn't. We didn't know that we should have questioned him the most. We we listened to him and we questioned each other. So you for, and I find that really unforgivable. So you confided in him. You really trusted him for a while. Yeah, I think there were periods of time where we all did, and especially in the earlier years when he wasn't like as overtly disgusting. <laughs> right. He'd be inappropriate and then he'd like laugh. He'd say, oh, I don't know anything. I was a dork in high school. None of the girls liked me. Like he'd always make these kinds of excuses. It takes a long time to realize that that's just an MO, that that's not genuine. Um, and in learning about as the years went on and he felt more and more powerful, how much more um, violent and inappropriate he got with women makes it very clear that it was always, you know, it, w it was always rooted in the same desire to kind of control and conquer. Right. Um, but Did I, I just, yeah, I find it really unforgivable. We could have had a, we could have had the most exquisite familial experience and we didn't get to, but we get it now. Yeah. And it's yeah, really that's nice. nice. We have it now. We like FaceTime and cook together and we get on Zoom once a week and we do this show. God, that's so ironic. Uh, I mean, it's. Yeah. Like you get it now. Yeah. You, but you still get to have that at least. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. a beautiful thing. And, you know, we always had moments and then we'd all kind of get a little nervous. Right. You know, you'd fall back into your closeness and then you'd go, oh, God, am I vulnerable now? What does it mean? So it, it, it was like this ebb and flow for the nine years we did our show. And now it's just flow all the time. And the difference between those two things is not small. And it's delicious. And I love that this belongs to us. You know, the three of us share it equally. We're executive producers. It is our show as a unit of women. And we are literally healing old wounds. And, you know, if it irks him, that we have the power, I'm thrilled. <laughs> well said. I'm thrilled. Well said. Uh, this is called Shit Talking Ooh, with Sophia as if Bush. That, as if I didn't just talk a little bit of <laughs> shit just well, this now. Is, that was Shit Talking. This is Shit Talking. This is just mm. for my lovable patrons. Oh, I love it. And they get to ask questions. Okay. I mean, this is kind of a question that's been asked. Sophie M., can you tell me whose idea it was to start the Drama Queens podcast? It was, uh, you know, someone came to you and then you came to the others, right? Yeah, I was having a conversation about... Um, a, 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 an imprint of podcasts I wanted to build out. And I have this amazing agent who's like, you know, full Gen Z, who was just like, okay, but what if you did this? And she really sparked the idea for me. And my initial reaction was absolutely not. And then I sat with it. And then I was like, mm, I don't want to do it by myself. I got to call, I got to call the girls. And I was like, I got to call Hillary first. And then she was like, called Joy. And the best part is we called Joy and Joy goes, absolutely not. And I was like, just wait, 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 wait. Because here's my idea. You know, I think we were all so like 
shuddery about it. And I just, you know, Hillary and I talked to her about the conversation we'd had, you know, when I, when I pitched it to her, um, and just said, look, we can take it back. We can reclaim all of it together. And then she was like, wait a second, this is cool. And, uh, and it's interesting the way that the three of us can as a unit advocate for each other. And when one person gets understandably nervous about something, we can come together and talk about it and solve for it. And, and yeah, so it's, it's been, it's been great. Nancy D what is, what's the one role that you would drop everything to play or one director you drop everything to work with? Oof. Um, I would drop everything to work with Taika, with Ryan Coogler, um, with Zoe Lister Jones. Oof. I I would I just want to play a superhero, guys. You do, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm scrappy and I'm a good stunt driver. And I'm very <laughs> proficient with weapons. And I'd like to do I some wire work. I've seen Black Widow twice. I think it is so good. Oh, I love it. I haven't so, seen it. Oh, it is. So all right, all right, good. It's so good, and I'm just like, I want to do this. You should do it. I think you will. We'll see. I guess. Yeah, Kel- <laughs> Kelly asked, is, "Is there an actor or actress that you were inspired by while growing up?" Mm. In Go ahead, high school, say Meryl Streep. Well, I mean, look, of course, obviously, me. Meryl is like duh, everyone. But I'm trying to think. You know, in high school, I, I think I became like a full diehard Kate Blanchett stan. Wow. <laughs> you know, I just think she's so unbelievably talented. And, and, you know, obviously Meryl and, and Kate have been women who I, I just love to watch. And, and God, Viola Davis. I mean, she just came in so hot and is so exquisite. And I mean, there's so many women who I, who I learn from watching, but man, I think in, in terms of people who can just make me feel like they've ripped my heart out of my chest, those three really are, are top tier. Those are good ones. Uh, Steph A just said, learned a lot from your work in progress podcast. Thank Aww. you for using your voice for good. You're a real inspiration. Thanks, Steph. Little Lisa says, do you have any funny behind the scenes stories from John Tucker must die? Oh my God. We had so much fun on that movie. Oh man. <laughs> Um, I have a lot of stories I can't tell any of you, but really, yeah, we just had a ball. We had an absolute ball, but what was really fun, um, while we were working up there, my sweet angel, Brittany Snow wound up, um, adopting this cute little dog. And so suddenly we had a set dog, which was heavenly because I, I was really missing my dogs that summer. Um, so it was really nice. We got a little. A little mascot. That's a little behind the scenes for you. The last question is, will you train Michael's dog? (laughs) I mean, I can give you some tips. Because you really are good. You're very, there's something about you that's just very, I mean, right when you walked in, you just, my dog kind of jumped on you and you're, you're, you're patient. You seem like you're just, your, your whole disposition, your whole you just seem relaxed. I don't know what it is. I, 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 I wish I had more of that. Mm. You just seem relaxed. Are you relaxed? No. Okay. So I was wrong. <laughs> I'm completely wrong. I am very type A. I'm high stress and probably a bit 
high strung, but the place where I get really grounded and still is in good conversation. So well, you're welcome. I feel you're welcome. I was going to say thank you. <laughs> I'm kidding. I was going I'm to kidding. say so. I feel very relaxed now. Thank you. <laughs> This guy interrupting. Let me get to the point. I know I do that sometimes. Um, I'm sorry. But I, I think that it's also part of the reason that I love hosting the shows so much is because I, I do. I feel really like grounded when, when we do this. Yeah. I like her, Ryan. I think she's, she's a good, she's an inspiration. Uh, you are. That's you're, very you're, kind. you're a, a good woman. You're a, a good human being. Thanks. Yeah. There's something Thank just, you. I feel comfortable when I'm talking to you. I think the audience Thanks. will say the same thing. There's just, you speak your mind, you're very confident, but you're also realistic and you're honest mm. and sweet. Thank I'll you. I'll throw sweet in there. Thanks. But uh, this has been a great time. I really enjoyed this. Did you yeah, have a good time? I did. Thank it you. Was. It was. I really like talking to you. I'm glad you finally came in here and uh, maybe one little trick for Blanche before we leave. Yeah. She was sitting for you. I know. She was staying for her. She doesn't stay for anyone. You got to make yourself clear. That's the thing that I think is really helpful is if you can start working on them to sit. Do you do any hand motions with her? I do a snap. I go, sit down. Interesting. Sit down. Interesting. I enunciate down. Down. Allure. Allure. Um, (laughs) Good Good throwback. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Call back. This is why I love talk shows. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh my God. Do you want to know the most embarrassing thing that I have ever done? Uh, yeah, for <sighs> sure. And his wife and I laugh about it. Thank God she's my friend. So the first week that Seth Myers was ever on late night, I went on. I was one of his guests in the first week. I've never, oh, yeah, I've like never been more flattered by anything. I just love him. I think he's amazing. And I was working in Chicago and having like an extra miserable time at work. and. Uh, which is no secret to anybody, <laughs> which is why I think I've busted my ass in the last couple of years to make such good projects with such wonderful people like False Positive, working with Alana, yeah. working with women and really good dudes and and gearing up to go shoot Good Sam, my new show, which is all, you know, helmed by incredible women and the men who've come in are phenomenal. And because, um, you know, I went from a show where Every time our boss was in town, it sucked to working on a show that like sucked most of the time for me <laughs> as a woman. <laughs> Shocker. Quit right before me too hit the news. That was fun. Um, but I was working there and reading, <laughs> I was reading Amy Poehler's book one weekend. My best friend had come in to visit me and we'd gone to the rooftop of the Soho house in Chicago. We were like laying by the pool. It was summertime and we were having rosé and like, I don't. I'm sensitive to things, guys. I'd probably had two glasses of rosé. Everyone else was tipsy. I was hammered. And I'm reading Amy Poehler's book, just crying, laughing at how sweet it is. And then I get to the chapter that Seth Meyers wrote about being her friend and looking up to her and what it was like to be supported by her and how it made him feel like he could do anything. (laughs) And I had been texting with Seth and with his wife, Alexi, um, just about like charity stuff in New York. And I, in my semi-drunken stupor, sent Seth Meyers a text message saying, hey, I'm reading Amy's book and laughing, crying, and now I've read your chapter and I'm crying. And I just want you to know that like, even in the boosts that you give to people who come on your show like me, when you tell them they're great and you love their work, you make us feel like Amy made you feel. (laughs) And I sent it. 
I sent oh, it, guys. That's nice, though. And I was like, oh, no. Well, what's wrong with that? And then there was like a bubble, and then it went away, and then there was a bubble, and I was oh. like, oh, fuck. And the next day I looked at my phone, and I was like, so sorry about the daytime rosé yesterday. And then I was chatting with his wife. We do a lot of advocacy for women together. And I was like, so I did this really embarrassing thing reading Amy Poehler's book. And I drunk texted Seth about how he's like a leader for people and a great ally to women. And she was like, oh, God, he doesn't know how to feel feelings like that. And we were just like dying laughing. And I was like, well, I could just see his face trying to text you back. Like, I really appreciate I don't know what the fuck to say. Because this is what happens. I do conversations like this. I'm not really the the person people come to for a quippy one liner. And when you're one of the world's greatest comedians, like comedy is what you do. And so next time I saw him, I was just like, hey, dude. Next time I'll send you a joke. (laughs) Oh, you know, that's fine. That's cool. I'm sure he appreciated it. And see that, if we were in fact doing late night, which is what the callback was all about, would be a great late night story. Yeah, I like that. And I think it was sweet. I don't know. I I wouldn't feel uncomfortable. Like, oh my God, thank you so much. She's drunk. That's so cool. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's what I do. I'm such a good time. I get drunk and read books. Yeah. (laughs) That's the cool girl. That's the girl. This is why I like to interview science people. Yes. Good for you. Well, hey, so two podcasts, work in progress, drama queens. Yeah. Uh, Listen to them both. I mean, she's uh, really enjoyable to listen to. And, uh, what other projects you have going on? Oh gosh, well, False Positive just came False out. False Positive on Netflix. Oh, so creepy. I'm so sorry. It's really watch. You know how I love horror <laughs> movies. It's creepy. You're gonna dig it. Pierce Brosnan. Oh, can you believe how scary he he's is? He's so. He's just. It's just bizarre. He's just so fabulous. It. He's bizarre. He's terrifying. Yes, he's terrifyingly. Yeah. He's just so nice. So but... without giving away the end, that story has happened multiple times okay i can't even uh-huh I that's where even. the whole thing comes from we were gonna end the oh, movie oh my god we were gonna end the movie with pictures of all the doctors who've been caught all right well don't say anything with pictures of all those kinds of doctors and we were told we oh weren't allowed god. to for legal reasons but yeah it's fucked and now it's you fucked. really want to listen to I it know, and she's really good you play a really cool character that you're it's there's a nice <sighs> twist to it and yeah. uh, I'm so glad I watched that. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. She's a, she's a strange kind of villain. And I didn't watch it because you were coming on the podcast. I'd watched it randomly and you I were in it. I love that. And I go, oh, she's in this. Oh, cool. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Well, tell your mom I said thanks. I will. So yeah, that just came out. It's streaming on Hulu. And then Good Sam. Uh, <laughs> here's another callback for you. The irony. Good Sam, the show on which I play a heart surgeon, is coming out on CBS in January. Really? Yeah. We came full circle full again. Full circle. Heart surgeon. Your yeah. dad will be proud. You're a fake yeah. heart surgeon. Yeah. I love it. I've been I've been shadowing surgeons and actually I know observing in the OR. And open heart surgery is the coolest thing I've ever seen in oh my life. Oh my God. I Changed don't... my life. It's the coolest experience I have ever Well, maybe you'll quit everything had. and be a heart surgeon. It's not too late. You're still young. <laughs> could you imagine? I could actually. Can you imagine that? I, I think you could do whatever you want to do. Well, I appreciate that. If you had a choice right now to be the top heart surgeon or a top superhero, what would it be? Can I be the superhero now and like go to med school in 10 years? Can I do both? Sure, you could do that, but you might get tired at 40. I don't even know. I don't know. I don't feel like I'd get tired. I'm tired right now talking about it. You're tired of thinking about being a superhero or being a surgeon? No, talking about being a surgeon. Oh my God. I couldn't even imagine all the years of school and things. I could barely get through school as it was. You know, it was. I have to be interested. If uh, occasionally you had a great teacher that would keep your interest, somebody who really loved yeah. what they were doing, and you saw that and had an interest in you, 
And those were always the best teachers and they were rare. They were few and far between. Yeah. But um, anyway. And what's your handles, by the way? Oh, it's nothing. I don't have like a fun name on the internet. It's, it's just, just my name. It's just at Sophia Bush. You heard that. Follow the girl, <laughs> will you? Uh, this has been a real treat. Thank you. And Thank you. Uh, I love having you on. You're welcome anytime. Thank you. And I hope you'll hopefully you'll post when this is out so people yeah. can listen to it because I think oh, it's a yeah. great conversation. You just let me know the day. And and yeah, we should get Blanche and Maggie on a walk. I would love that. Maggie will teach her a thing or two. Oh, I would love that. Yeah. And Blanche is really good with other dogs. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Great. I mean, she gets excited. Yeah. I mean, same. Okay, good. I get excited and so does Maggie. <laughs> good. Say goodbye to Ryan. <laughs> Ryan? Sophia? It's been a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning, guys. You are. You're doing it. a great job. Yeah, look at that. Right at the mic. Wow. What did you like about Sophia, Ryan? I didn't like that everyone kept making fun of me for my mic skills. Your mic skills I were know a little how, off. I know how to use a mic. Guys. <laughs> Guys. I promise. <laughs> yeah, we were giving him shit a little bit, but... Uh... But she was very nice. She was very good. She is. She's, she was really just really quick, had a lot to say and said it and uh, spoke her mind. And uh, I think that's what you see is what you get with Sophia Bush. And uh, so, look, thank you for listening. Thank you for uh, if, if you really enjoyed that episode. I hope you'll um, subscribe to the podcast. You'll follow us on our handles at Inside You Pod on Twitter at Inside You Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and all that jazz. Um, thank you for everyone for um, coming to the stage at last week and watching my band Sunspin play two shows. It was a real treat. Join Patreon. Don't forget, support the podcast. Uh, I'll message you right away after you join, usually within a few days. And uh, that's patreon.com slash inside of you. Join the Patreon family today. And the Inside of You online store, tons of great merch. And the Sunspin store, where you can get tons of band merch, like the shirt I'm wearing, the Sunspin shirt. Just go to sunspin.com uh, for that. Uh, Patreons, without you, I've, I've said it before, I can't really do this show. You guys make it happen. And uh, I'm going to read off the top tier patrons that get packages from me every couple of months and um, special notes from me and a bunch of other perks. But let's just do it right now. Um, Nancy D, Leah S, Trisha F, Sarah V, Little Lisa, Yukiko, Jill E, Brian H, Mama. Cass. Well, no. Mama G. Oh, that's a new one. Mama G. I think it is a new one. Unless it's mm -hmm. Mama Lauren, and I didn't know that, but whatever. But Mama G. Nico P. Jerry W. Robert B. Jason W. Apothean. Kristen K. Amelia O. Allison L. Raj C. Joshua D. Emily S. C. J. P. God, you're good, Ryan. You know you're good at this. Yeah. <laughs> you have a good memory. Samantha M. Jennifer N. Stacy L. Jen S. Jamal F. Janelle B. Mike E. L. Don Supremo. 99 more. Ramirez. Santiago M. Sarah F, Chad W, Liam P, Janine R, Ray A, Maya P, Maddie S, Shannon D. God, how does he do it randomly like that? Matt W, Belinda N, James R, Chris H, Dave H, Spider-Man. Chase. Sheila. G. Brad. Uh, H. D. D. Ray H, Tabitha T, Tom N, Liliana A, Michelle K, Michael S, Talia M, Betsy. Ross. D. Mm -hmm. oh, that was the flag woman, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was the flag Betsy woman. Betsy D, yes. Uh, <laughs> hey, hey, you know the flag woman. You know the flag woman. Yeah, she did the flags. <laughs> Claire M, Laura L, Chad L, Rochelle, Nathan E, Marion, Meg K, Janelle P, Trav L, Dan N, O Jetta, Ah Jetta, Ah Jetta, Ah Jetta, Lorraine G. You weren't here last week, and I had to read it myself, and I think I messed that up. No, you did. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm a messer upper. Veronica K, Big Stevie W, Kendall T, Carol D, Angel M, Rhiannon C, Corey K, Super Sam, Super Sam. I used to go to that store all the time. 
Emily C, Coleman G, Dev Nexon, Michelle A, Liz L, Jeremy C, Andy T, Cody R, Sebastian K, Gavinator, David C, Elliot M, John B, Brandy D, Yavor, Bono, Urbano, Patrick Case, H, and Joey M. Thank you, you lovely patrons, for making this show possible. And uh, you um, subscribing to Patreon, uh, like I said, over and over, really does wonders for the show and keeps us ticking. And we want to keep on doing this show. Um, I certainly enjoy it. And uh, Ryan, did you have a good week? I know you were you had to isolate since I tested positive and you had to isolate for 14 days. I mean, I know it's not my fault, but were you mad at me at all? Yes. You were? Uh-huh. Why? Because I don't think anyone should have been at your house. What do you mean? I, we don't have to include this, but no, I don't think... No, it, it's okay. Let's talk about it. No, I don't want to... Um, no, I think uh, if you were feeling shitty on Tuesday... Wednesday. And Wednesday. And but, you, you took the test on Thursday. And I was negative. But you took the PCR and that came in on Friday. That came in Friday, but I was, I was, hear, hear me out. Honest to God, I wouldn't have had anybody here. And the reason why I had somebody here is because I was feeling tired and I just had back surgery and I was still on pain meds and I'm still like, you know, recovering. So Wednesday I was a little fatigued, but nothing, nothing major at all. Thursday, still just a little fatigued. So I didn't feel, and, and by the way, my symptoms only were extreme fatigue it just got worse and worse until i was finally like there's no way i could have i'm vaccinated i'm just tired i just was in houston it's two hours ahead in my mind i really felt like there's no way i have covid there's just no fucking way i was pretty pretty good in houston they had a plexiglass in front of me so just to you know let you understand if i had congestion and sore throat and swollen lymph nodes and all these things, I didn't lose my sense of smell or taste. So it wasn't until I got that test, I was like, I can't. And, and what happened? I went and got tested again immediately because I didn't, I didn't know if I believed it. I thought it was a false positive. So that's why I got tested again immediately the next day, thinking there, there's, you know, and then Friday night, I started to feel more tired and Saturday. And I felt like, wow, this is a fatigue that I haven't had. So I really apologize, but I, but I really didn't believe I had it. Yeah. And I was, I was thinking, you know, at first it just didn't cross my mind that I had COVID when you're vaxxed, you just don't think, you know, I'm pretty cautious and I didn't get it for a year and a half. I just didn't think I was going to get it. And I didn't have these extreme symptoms. I just was really tired. And I thought, well, I'm just fucking tired. That's why I got tested on Thursday. And when that first test came back negative, I go, of course I'm negative. And the guy goes, it's 96% effective. And I'm like, all right, I'm just tired. Or if anything, maybe I have a cold. Do you hear me out? Yeah. Are you still mad? I mean, it was, it was a rough week. It was a rough week, man. It was just, uh, it was not something I really needed to, to be dealing with. And I know you had the whole disease and I'm sorry you had it. And it sounded really shitty and it sounded like shitty. it sucked. Um, I guess at the time I was sort of feeling like, well, if he was feeling shitty early in the week, well, there's no way we should have been here unmasked. There's just no way we should have been here. Well, again, it, it didn't feel like I had anything other than fatigue. In fact, like I said, for the next 12 days, what did I have? Extreme fatigue. Mm -hmm. That's it. No other symptoms. So if I started to get a sore throat and I started to feel these things, I'd be like, fuck, guys, I'm sick. I'm not going to be in front of people when I'm sick. But the fact that it was negative and it was fatigue and I just had gotten back and it was my first trip and I was tired, you don't realize... My back was all swollen when I was there. So it was constantly icing down, which made me feel like shit. I was just constantly running around and I just felt like I was just drained. Yeah. 
but I never thought for a second that I had COVID. Yeah. I mean, I swear to God, I did not think I had COVID. I mean, I'll just say like, it was very, I'll just say what it was like for me was just very sudden and like immediately just sort of felt like, fuck, uh, this, this, this is really going to fuck everything up. So I had to call Amanda on my way home. I said, okay, so Michael just got a test, a positive test for COVID and, um, I'm coming home. She's like, shit, I still have auditions to do. So I went into my apartment cause my, our closet is the recording studio. Right. So, right. because we had to turn that like into COVID. So I just, I went into my, I went into my apartment. I showered, I stayed masked the whole time. She came in masked. She finished her auditions and then she sort of like took some food out of the fridge and was like, well, fucking bye. <laughs> and so she and just so, had to, yeah. she had to go to her place and she, um, and you had 14 days of, yeah. And so, 10 days of isolation. And so, yeah. So she, she lost the, the recording booth. She had her microphone, but she sort of lost right. sound quality and, um, and that was kind of a big bummer for her. And, um, and then, I mean, this is obviously not your fault, but this is just something that really shittily happened. Like while we were quarantining, um, one of her, her childhood friend just fucking died from COVID, not COVID, not even COVID. He died oh. in a car accident in France Ooh. and she, it was, it was killer. Just all of a sudden she got a text one morning. And, um, I was super bummed cause I couldn't comfort her. I couldn't comfort her in the way I needed to. And, um, it's, I mean, it's obviously, it's part of the isolation process. It, it was just really, I mean, this shouldn't like happen ever, but it was just really shitty timing. And she really was just, a, she's a fucking mess. Still. Uh, the funerals today. Oh, I'm so sorry, man. So that was just sort of, it was just one sort of just thing, one after, thing another. after another. And yeah, had, and she also she had like a big job on Tuesday, so like pretty much like the second I called her, she's like, "Well, I gotta fuck off because it's a, I have a job like a huge like job in three days." I I was just baffled by the whole fucking thing. I was baffled because for a year and a half uh, I didn't get it, and I was very careful. And then I get vaxxed, and then then I randomly get it. And let me tell you guys something. I will say this: Thank God I was vaxxed. Because I feel like if I wasn't vaxxed, I probably would have gone to the hospital. I felt like I couldn't move by the next week. It wasn't even until the next week where I started to feel really bad. That was like Wednesday, that following week, where I just, it was one of these things where you're just lying there and you know you have to eat because you haven't eaten all day and you're like, I can't, I can't, I can't even go upstairs. I can't even go on Postmates. I just don't have the strength to go on Postmates and order something. I'm just so tired. And I remember the guy at the door at Postmates knocked and he just stood there and I go, hey, you can just leave it there. He goes, hello? I go, you can just leave it there. He goes, well, I just want to make sure. I go, hey, buddy, I have COVID, dude. And he just fucking oh. took off. I was like, dude, get the fuck out of here. Well, I'm sorry about all this. I mean, if I can go back in time and, and really think that I, you know, had it I, I i never would have done that friday i certainly wouldn't have had an interview i mean it was you know if i thought i had fucking covid it was the last thing i thought i had and uh it's just a drag this whole situation's a drag but you know i feel really safe now now that i've had it and i'm vaxxed it's like i'm almost super vaxxed in a way yeah but you know you still gotta be you know we have a rule now i mean we had a rule anyway it's like you're not coming in here unless you're vaxxed and that's just, you know, goes, you know, we have a guest that's coming in next week and, you know, you're not vaxxed, you're not coming in. 
I was surprised to hear the potential guest is not vaxxed. I was surprised about that. Yeah, we don't have to bring that up. I won't. But yes. Yeah, I know. I just don't get it. I don't get it, especially when you're working in this industry. You sort of, I think you have to be vaxxed. Yeah, I won't include that, but I don't have to include it. No, you can include it. You can include the whole thing if you want. Hmm. People are either listening or they're not. You don't have to, you know, by by this point, they're gone anyway. (laughs) Don't you agree? You guys are still listening. We just got into a little conversation about this, and I thought it was healthy and it was real and it was you know it was what's going on in the world and uh so there you have it it's scary get fucking back get vaccinated please get vaccinated for your own benefit for your people around you um you don't know how you're going to respond i'm pretty healthy you know and i felt like i was about a day away from going to the hospital i felt like i just can't function as a human being and and you know, then my doctor said, take a Z pack, do this. And then it turned around for me. I took a Z pack loaded up on vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc, all these other things. And three days later, it just completely turned around. And, um, but yeah, do yourselves a favor. You don't, you don't want to, you don't want to, COVID wanna, doesn't give a shit. COVID doesn't care who you are. <laughs> you could be as healthy as a fucking fiddle. Is that what you say? Fit as a fiddle fit or as healthy a fiddle, as a healthy as a hawk of ham, hawk of ham. Guys, thank you for listening, and uh, uh, we we love you, and we really appreciate you tuning in. Um, From myself, Michael Rosenbaum. And myself, Ryan Tejas. There's a camera up there from the Hollywood Hills in uh, California. California. We uh, we love you, and we thank you for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you uh, for allowing me to be inside of each and every one of you. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.